0: Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply.
1: your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson.
0: Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson. As we are streaming live on Mixler.com slash Sox Machine, as the Chicago White Sox just wrapped up a doubleheader sweep against the Detroit Tigers. What a day for the White Sox as Jose Abreu ended the second game with a three-run homer to walk it off, which also included two home run nights from Ryan Cordell and Yohan Mikada. Though after today, White Sox fans will remember the entire day for being the very first start in Dylan Cease's career. And that's where we're going to start With this episode of Sox Machine Live, and to help me recap Cease's start and this crazy day and preview the upcoming weekend series against the Chicago Cubs, is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. We finally see Dylan Cease in a White Sox uniform. He's wearing number 84. And after a shaky first inning, I thought he pitched well. What are your thoughts about Cease's first start?
1: It seemed like he was uh, a little bit anxious early on. He was uh, seemed like he was uh, like sailing his fastball a little bit. He had trouble finding his release point. Maybe overthrowing a little bit. Especially he was yanking it. So was uh, all. It was a weird combination of like firing it high and glove side, which you normally don't see from a right-handed pitcher. Usually it's uh, you know up and in and or you know they they hold it too long and pull it down and glove side. But he was missing uh, you know, the opposite way. So that was a little unusual, but yeah, after he survived the first inning and there were also a couple of starts like that in Charlotte where he had a really tough first inning and then settled in, he was mostly fine. I think he, he found his change up or his curveball rather was a comfort pitch and, and that helped him get on track. But, uh, you know, as we talked about, I always hope for a pitcher making his debut that he throws five innings and he threw five innings and got the win. So it's a success.
0: Yeah, for Dylan Cease, he threw 101 pitches in the outing, covering the five innings, as Jim mentioned. And his pitch mix, he threw 55 fastballs, 14 curveballs, 18 sliders, and 14 change-ups, in which he was able to generate 13 swinging strikes, which is good. That's kind of the new number that we're paying attention to in these starts to make sure that the stuff is there. And I think Dylan Cease proved that he does have the stuff to be in the major leagues and be a very enticing and very good starting pitcher in the future. Uh, I asked for some fan reactions on how they would grade Dylan Cease's first start. We have Michael. He gave it a solid B plus thought the stuff looked nasty. The location wasn't great, but showed great adjustments after the first inning. Uh, Jimbo gave him a B he showed great maturity after the first inning to, 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 Bounce back after that struggle. Uh Calvin gave him an A minus because his arm didn't fall off, so that instantly places Dylan C to the 90th percentile of White Sox pitching prospects. And my favorite was David. On a scale of Dylan Axelrod to Dylan Covey, he gave it five and a half Dylans. Alright. I can see that. As you mentioned with the fastball, the fastball definitely had life. And <laughs> He was able to hit 99.6 miles per hour. That was the fastest of fastball for velocity wise on baseball savant. And I knew just watching his starts the last two years in Birmingham and in Charlotte, that he would want to throw his breaking pitches to punch hitters out. But the changeup, that was a pitch gym that he doesn't use often or he didn't use often in Charlotte. And I, I thought this pitch looked really good at times, and I think it's the one pitch that helped him stabilize the start for him. Is that something that you noticed while watching Cease?
1: Yeah, I was surprised by that. The one changeup ended up as a homer, and that wasn't even even that one wasn't a terrible one. It was maybe a little bit high, but in terms of where it was on the plate, it was outside corner, uh, about a little bit above the knees, and it just happened to be a good swing by Candelario that you know got the barrel on it enough, and the wind helped carry it out to right center. But you know that's one that was a little bit unlucky, I would say, when it comes to as far as home runs go, and maybe you know maybe a. Uh, uh, symbolic uh, of the 2019 home run ball that is going around. Uh, But yeah, I think ultimately it was a little bit of a confusing. uh, It confused the scouting report a little bit. Um, The the, the fastball is there, even the curveball, and he's going to that a little bit early on the first inning. You could see hitters... uh, canceling out the fastball early looking at the curveball seeing like they saw one it's like okay we we'll might see another saw another poked in the center field for a uh, for an RBI single so even then like I, I think hitters were able to at least spot the curveballs he was throwing for strikes and so I didn't think he had to maybe go away from his uh, plan A or maybe even his plan B and uh, fortunately you know maybe at least early on with the change of being underrepresented in the scouting report it was a way to get by.
0: And I think this is why he needs to pitch in the major leagues because after the first inning, there, of course, on Twitter, people tweeting at me that, see, this was a mistake to call up Dylan Cease. He's not ready. He doesn't have the command yet. But, Jim, you know, we've watched his starts in Charlotte. Cease can get away throwing two pitches, right? His fastball and his curveball. And he can go six innings and put up eight to nine strikeouts, sure, he may walk three to four batters, but he can get away with just throwing two pitches. He can't get away with that in the major leagues. And I think, you know, from this start, and what I'm looking forward to in his next start, is that third pitch, or maybe even the fourth pitch. If if that curveball, or I should say the breaking pitch, becomes more of a slider... But if he can really nail down that changeup, I mean, I don't know what hitters are going to do, Jim, because your options are you react to the 98 mile per hour fastball or you sit back on the 80 mile per hour change up or he's just going to throw this really sharp breaking ball in the strike zone like he was doing often to try to establish strike one. Uh, That's ranging anywhere from 84 to 80 miles per hour. And I think this is why I'm really excited to see the maturation of Dylan Cease because his stuff is just so enticing. And I I think this is someone where you can dream upon out of all the White Sox pitching prospects that maybe he can join the level that Lucas Giolito has reached this year and help lead this rotation.
1: Yeah, no, th- those are good points. I think when it comes to the, the White Sox, the timing that they brought him up, I think bringing him up against the Detroit Tigers was, this is what they had in mind. Uh, I guess a forgiving lineup. Uh, every major league lineup is basically tougher than any lineup you'll see in Triple A, aside from maybe if you catch a rebuilding team in the majors and a rehabbing team in A. But uh, this was a new level of competition, and I, I think when it comes to the uh, the mistakes he made and, and the way those pitches piled up earlier, if you're facing the twins or the Red Sox or the Rangers or any of the teams that uh, they faced during that really tough stretch, you know, that might've been a little bit too much for him to overcome. He might've uh, created his own trouble and might not have been able to get out of it. And maybe he would have been exited in the second inning, but the Tigers being, you know, the one of the worst offenses in baseball and, and one of the, maybe the worst in the American league when it comes to power, uh, it's the kind of lineup where you can take an inning to get your bearings and, and come back and, and, end up with uh, enough to get a win. So that, I think, lends some credence to the idea of the White Sox with the timing that they brought him up uh, as a way to introduce him, give him some idea of how he can succeed. And then, you know, as these tests get tougher, I imagine he might, uh, you know, run into some situations where, you know, he throws 33 pitches in the inning and then throws uh, 29 in the next and has to exit in the third. But, you know, for the time being, his first start is not a disaster. It's a win. And that gives him some positive experience to build off. And, uh, you know, even if he has a stumble ahead of him, um, he's not operating from a deficit. Now, Dylan Cease is going to stay on the 25-man
0: roster. He was called up as the White Sox 26th man because of the doubleheader. Carson Fulmer will be headed back to Charlotte as he was optioned again to AAA. Uh, So he'll catch a flight out of O'Hare. And go back and join the knights. Uh, both teams, the White Sox and the Knights. Uh, for those that don't know, Triple A synced their All Star break with the major leagues. It, it's kind of odd when you compare it to the rest of the minor leagues uh, levels that they usually have their All Star games in June, uh, except for the International League. So. Soon, the Knights will be off, and it'll be an extended break for Carson Fulmer, and it'll be an extended break for Dylan Cease. We don't expect him to pitch this weekend against the Chicago Cubs, even though that would be a lot of fun. But as you mentioned, Jim, maybe he's not ready for that test, but he's going to have a pretty extended break with the All-Star game being in Cleveland, and he's going to have all these days off, Jim. So let's try to guess on what his next start would be. Would the White Sox entertain the idea of, of having him start uh, as far as the post all-star break in Oakland, or do you think the White Sox skip that weekend and try to have him face a weaker opponent again in the Kansas city Royals?
1: My guess is would be the weekend opponent just because, you know, it will be Cease's first six month season. So I think they're going to grab all the extra off days they can and And this would be a way to give him a a long midseason break. And then, as off days arise and such, I think they'll find ways to shove him back further, just to manage his workload and make sure that he doesn't get overtaxed. Uh, I, I think maybe if it were a you know maybe his second full season then it wouldn't really matter or you know if, say if he'd thrown 150 innings in a season before then maybe they would be coaching him up for 200 and, and go for it and i think oakland you know being a big park with a lot of foul territory um wouldn't be necessarily the worst place to pitch but uh i think kansas city will be the one and it's it's interesting to me you know they they, they kept him up even though he's a 26th man and being the all-star break and being that they, uh, you would have to keep him Charlotte for 10 days, they could probably find a way to keep him in Charlotte for 10 days and still make his next scheduled start and they would be able to have an extra guy in the bullpen. But I guess it's you know, pretty symbolic or at least uh, has a lot of, uh, um, yeah, it, 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 I guess it's a way to uh, say that he's part of the team when they call him up and have him stick around. I, I think they don't plan to send him, send him to the minors ever again. Well, while Seas grabbed everyone's attention today, uh, there were
0: also some really big days. Uh, Ryan Cordell had a big day. Other than his toot bland in the first game at home plate, which it appeared that he ran through the stop sign, uh, costing the White Sox a run early in that game, he made several terrific defensive catches in center field, Out of all positions, uh, he had four hits in the two days, uh, in the two games, I should say. He hit two home runs in the second game of the doubleheader, and for the day, he drove in five RBIs. I think I gave him a B, right, Jim, on Monday for first half grades. I I think that's right. Yeah, I gave him a A minus. That's right. That's right. A minus B. Obviously, we are kidding. If you listen to the show on Monday, you know that Jim and I did not think highly of Ryan Cordell. But you know, there are games that happen for even guys that we would think are quadruple A type of players. So it was nice to see some life from Ryan Cordell today, Jim.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's you know, nobody's rooting against him, even if you give him a bad grade. It's just you know, it's He seemed like he was underwater and and kind of that uh, Trace Thompson vibes, a big or a lanky right-handed hitter who was just behind a lot of stuff, chasing high fastballs, didn't really seem to uh, hang in there. But, you know, this is a weaker opponent, and I, I think he can feast a little bit on that kind of pitching. And, you know, it's still half a season left, and I think the White Sox are going to give him a very... Uh, long look just because he's on the 40-man roster. So many guys on this 40-man roster like you know, Cordell and Charlie Tilson, Jose Rondon, they just have to know about him. They have to have, uh, I guess, definite answers and how they feel about him at the end of the season and make their 40 man adjustments. And this is, you know, a way to keep himself alive. And yeah, the play in center I think was nice, especially since, you know, Leori is going to be probably shortstop most of the time for the next four to six weeks. You'd like to see somebody else in center be able to run some stuff down. And he's had a couple nice plays in, in the gaps and, and going back uh, the last couple games and seeing John Jay make that catch and rights was another, uh, yeah you know, just, I guess, a visual representation of the improvement the White Sox stand to gain by having him around, even if, you know, the whole, uh, or I guess maybe the Purpose 1A in signing him didn't pan out. You know, there's still some things he can offer, the corner defense, the left-handed uh contact approach, and the on-base uh abilities against righties. You know, he's he's proving some of that. So, you know, there is a uh you, you can see some major league ability in some of these guys and what they can offer. And you know, maybe it only comes against weaker opponents or uh really bad pole pens like Detroit has, but you gotta beat those guys too. Well, speaking of
0: Detroit's bullpen. Shane Green has been terrific this year for the Tigers. And I think he's going to be someone that is well sought after later in the upcoming weeks in this month of July in the trade deadline, as he's now a 22... He's 22 for 23 in... No, I'm sorry, that's a lie. He is 22 for 24 in save opportunities as he blew the save tonight because of Yohan Makata down 6-5 to five in the 10th inning. Makata destroyed a slider that went for 462 feet. When he hit that home run, I just... All I can say, Jeff, is oh my God. And I guess this is one of those... Majestic home runs that you wish that Hawk Harrelson was still calling games because maybe this is the moment that he would have suffered a heart attack. But I do love Jason Benetti's call on Mikata's home run. But now on the season, earlier in the game, he hit his third home run batting right-handed. It looks like that he's figuring it out, batting right-handed against lefties. On the season, Mikata has 16 home runs, 16 doubles, and three triples. That's 35 extra base hits on the season. Do you like his chances of reaching 70 extra base hits?
1: I do. I, I think especially since his power isn't so lopsided anymore. I think, you know, later in the game, we saw him swing over three changes out of four, and I think that is his weak Uh, His key weakness as a right-handed hitter, I think he still can be a little bit baffled by an array of slower stuff, especially maybe when he's being pitched backwards or um, getting tripled or even in this case quadrupled up on. I think he can maybe be outguessed and the swing isn't as, I guess, coordinated to... Uh, match speeds, you know, variant speeds in a, in a given plate approach. But the power is coming around, the loft is coming around, and he's able to get under stuff and and send it out to the left. So when you have the power coming from both sides of the plate, I think that makes him a, a very different hitter. And just, uh, I, I think, as we're seeing with his season line, um, you know, it turns him from a guy we are hoping would hit 260 with like a 330 on base percentage and 500 slugging. Now we're seeing that uh, average, you know, been around 300 for a lot of the season and and over it now and uh you, you see what it does to the rest of his numbers and yeah if he's going to be evening up his numbers against righties and lefties then there should be extra base hits uh, all over the place now the the angels and we haven't touched on this
0: uh as they are going through quite a bit already um Tommy Listella just got injured he's out six to eight weeks and tommy listella has made the all-star team and obviously with him being out now for six to eight weeks i believe it's a fractured tibula uh that does leave a spot open for manager alex cora to find a replacement for tommy Le- tommy listella is this an opportunity for yoan Makata to make the all-star team jim
1: it could be. Uh, I, I was seeing Glaber Torres getting some uh, support, and I think he was also touting himself uh, because he was a snub. And uh, I think either one would be qualified. I mean, Torres is having a great season himself, and I think you'll, you might hear a little bit about you know Yankee bias and such. But I think when it comes to either player, they're both you know. Uh, I'm looking at just eyeballing their numbers real quick. They're both uh, you know on pace for five plus WAR seasons. Uh, you know. Torres has 19 uh, homers and he's got a 907 OPS. I mean, basically their numbers are equivalent if they want second baseman for second baseman. then I think Torres might get the edge there. Um, But yeah, I think either one, it could be Moncada. But if they want a second baseman, I'm guessing Torres might get the edge and he would be worthy of it.
0: Yeah. And obviously the Angels don't need any more bad news. Losing Tyler Skaggs to an unfortunate death, uh, only 27 years old. I know that has shocked the baseball world. Uh, as they are still recovering from that, and they even get more worse news as Tommy Lastello is having a career year uh, for the Angels, and now he's going to be missing significant time. So we'll see what Alex Cora does as far as the uh, All-Star team on how he fills that position, but we're already starting to see shuffling in the All-Star roster, so who knows, maybe Yohan Makata could find himself on that roster uh the way that he's been playing this year i think he most certainly deserves the honor it's just a very loaded position right now in all of major league baseball at third base so a lot of positive i just want to touch on one negative and that is kelvin herrera what is rick Redteria going to do with kelvin herrera jim
1: I don't know, because there are no obvious solutions. That was one thing I was watching today after Herrera came in, the front of the doubleheader with a four-run lead. And, uh, yeah, I thought, oh, great, you know, why are they using him? That's going to be a safe situation. But then I thought, you know, who else do you like? You know, if Evan Marshall's already been used um, and, and you want a righty in there, you know, Carson Fulmer gave up a run in his inning. Juan Manaya gave up a run in his inning. Uh, there aren't any – I guess I would go with Manaya over – Herrera at this point, but I can see the arguments against everybody, and I'm not feeling great about any one pitcher and i think jose ruiz made the strongest statement of anybody with his inning coming out of nowhere and throwing uh, you know 98 uh just above the hands uh, everybody he was facing and struck out the side but it's been really rough uh and, and that's why i think you know with with renteria and all these games he keeps going to marshall then bummer and then Colome. and if he needs more than three outs from any of them he'll stick with them you know for as long as he can just because i think there's a really big drop off between uh Marshall and anybody else in the bullpen. And I think that's one thing for him to negotiate, but yeah, Herrera has been a mess and it's not with his velocity. It's just location or it's straight or, um, both. <laughs> it's perhaps location and, uh, a lack of life to, uh, eliminate all margin for error, but it's pretty amazing how hittable he's been. And, and, even against the tigers, you know, with, with Gordon Beckham taking them the opposite way, just, yeah, just, uh, you know, that's, that's the extra kick I think is not, it's not great hitters beating them. It's all it's bench guys and guys who were, you know, flirting with being out of baseball, you know, uh, taking them the opposite way and, and, and roping doubles and, and forcing column into the game. So it is messy. And, you know, given what he's being paid, I know a lot of fans want to see him DFA'd and it could be, you know, if it doesn't straighten out, it, 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 could theoretically happen, but I imagine he will be around the whole season and you might see a, a DL stint at some point just to see if uh, time off will, will will solve them. But I think right now it would just be nice to have somebody else step up, uh, righty preferably, step up to be that uh third ready in the bullpen and then you can just save them for you know lopsided games and garbage time and see if you can straighten them out there but right now with the lack of low leverage opportunities and with uh, no other ready stepping up I guess it's just going to be a kind of a lottery and hoping that so uh, one of these guys whether you know Fulmer is option so he's out of the picture but whether it's Manaya or or Ruiz or or somebody just steps up and you know delivers a a few strong outings in a row
0: yeah this tweet came in Late from Scott Greger of the Daily Herald. Uh, after Jose Abreu hit the walk-off home run, Jose Abreu said, I don't want to leave. There's a lot of talent here. I want to stay here. If I was the owner, I would sign myself. I think if everyone was an owner of a baseball team, they would sign themselves. Um, but with, you know, we just had Knowles right? I think a terrific piece this past weekend about the Jose Abreu dilemma uh and with this quote coming out and there's even more quotes from Yoan Makata that he's a team leader and the White Sox need to to keep him here uh I wonder if that drum beat is starting to pick up again after what was it about 6 weeks ago that Rickon said it was very likely that Jose Bray will be sticking around
1: yeah it's it's fun like the their the Bray quote when I saw it was the uh it might be one of the quotes of the year, and then seeing other guys stick up for him, it is you know it's what you want to see. I mean, yeah, uh, P. Nolz's column was good, and it was you know made strong points, and I think he ended up on on the side. I feel that you know one, it's it seems inevitable, and two, it it would be fine because the White Sox can use a first baseman slash DH, and Bray is better than anybody else in the market, and you want like the White Sox have a hard time. Signing guys or distinguishing themselves from the competition to sign guys—that's why you know, they've been on some no-trade clauses. As we saw with Machado, they had you know really no way to lure them. They had to offer cash. And um, you know if they aren't going to play at the top of the market, and, and they have to generate their own hype and own excitement, you know this would be the way to do it. If Abreu can you know continue on on little rollies on and get his average back up to where it normally is, and his numbers look all great, um, and you have guys rallying around him, and you have other guys like Moncada also having great seasons. Um, and, and it's just not a you and, and uh, a mostly faceless lineup. And Eloy comes around, you have a lineup that's really fun. and <laughs> They really like each other. And, uh, you know, my, my dad texted me after the game when Mankata, uh you know, hit the, uh, you know, tied it up and we were talking about it. And I said, uh, you know, Mankata is the kind of guy who's fun to imitate in the backyard, you know, with his, uh, with his spat drop. And, and my dad pointed out that you see a lot of kids with headbands at the game. And I think this is, you know, what the White Sox kind of had in mind is, uh you know the young excitement uh and, and players who have identities and style they can build around and i think you know bray was on the other side of that age-wise um not terribly old but you know at least in his early 30s but you know he provides the guy who's been there and then the guy fans have already fallen in love with. So I think you know you when you add it all up it just it's a very likable team. I should say likable offense. It's likable lineup. Uh, it's getting there. The pitching still needs a lot of help in that regard, but when you see this all come together and you see these wins and and, and this this credible offense, it's uh just something you you know, and and you see players want to stay here. I think it's yeah, you know, it makes it kind of a no-brainer for the White Sox to extend them for, you know, a year or two and hopefully get other guys in on it that they want to play in this lineup with these uh you know guys who like each other. Do the White Sox have to wait after the season to finalize a deal like
0: that? I don't think so. Um I don't, I don't think so either, but I don't remember them doing signing contract extensions mid-season.
1: Yeah, uh you know I'm trying to think I have to I, I just don't know if that's Rick
0: Hahn style. I mean, you do have the All-Star break. I mean, Rick Hahn could go out to Cleveland. He's done business before during the All-Star break. That's how the White Sox got Aloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease uh, a couple of years ago when with the Jose Quintana trade and speaking with Theo Epstein. Uh, we'll talk about Theo Epstein later in the show when we talk about the preview of the White Sox Cubs, but I don't know if something's going to get done during midseason. Uh, but I, I'm on the boat. Let's bring Jose Breu back. Because uh, nobody else right now, even though Andrew Vaughn is impressive at the Arizona Fall League to start his career with the White Sox, uh, there is nobody else in Charlotte or Birmingham uh, that you could feel confident replacing Jose Abreu with, at least as far as his leadership and his production in the lineup. Yeah,
1: I was, I was trying to think of other guys, you know, like Tommy, he was traded and Die left. And you know, the guys who are mainstays, Canerco waited until after the season. You know, Alex Ramirez was an off-season extension. I'm just trying to think of the other guys who hung around and signed for a little bit longer than people thought. And I'm not thinking of anybody like in season, second half of the season. It's always been uh, February, March, maybe a little bit into April, but barely if that happened. There is one more game left in this series.
0: Again, on Tuesday, the White Sox and Tigers were rained out. That's going to be another doubleheader. Uh, later in the season, in September, so the White Sox and Tigers had two more doubleheaders this season. The 4th of July game will be at 1.10 p.m. Central Time. It is Matthew Boyd for the Detroit Tigers, their best starting pitcher, against Ronaldo Lopez. The last time Lopez faced Detroit at home, he had a career day, 14 strikeouts against the Tigers. Can the 4th of July be another good day for Ronaldo Lopez, Jim?
1: It's going to be tougher, I think, just with the weather being warm and day game, ball flying out. You know, if he's giving up fly balls the way he's been giving them up, it's going to be hard for him to keep the ball in the yard. But, you know, given that it is a weak uh, lineup when it comes to power, seems like it's, you know, better now than any other time. So I I would hope so, but I I imagine there will be at least, I would set the over-under, I guess, at... uh, would it be like three and a half i'm not sure what vegas would say like officially but it feels like a three and a half to four and a half homer game oh boy
0: i i think i'd take the under i mean matthew boyd's been pitching really well but he has not pitched well at guaranteed rate field he has an era and, close yeah, to 10 seven.
1: homers yeah 10 homers in his last uh in june i think so really
0: yeah oh man i must have been missing still- that Okay, well, maybe you are right. <laughs> maybe we will see a lot of home runs on Fourth of July. Lots of fireworks. How fitting uh, if it's the White Sox hitting a lot of home runs. But hopefully, Ronaldo Lopez can lock it down and keep it close. And hopefully, the White Sox offense. Continues to score a lot of runs against Detroit Tigers pitching. It'd be great if they could sweep because, again, the White Sox are 41 and 42. So they have another opportunity to reach 500. And then they have July 5th off. I know no game on Friday, halfway through the season. I feel like that's really crazy. But it that's the way it is because Major League Baseball wanted the White Sox and Cubs to Uh, have the final series against each other prior to the all-star break as the Chicago Cubs come to the south side to finish off the Crosstown Classic for Saturday and Sunday. Before we preview that two-game series and the last series before the all-star break, a quick word from our sponsor SeatGeek. Baseball's already halfway done, and there's no better place to get your tickets than on SeatGeek. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you are willing to pay. And there's nothing quite like being there in person. SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for great value. And speaking of being there in person, SeatGeek asked baseball fans from all 30 teams and all across the country, which stadiums had the best experience from the food to the traffic. They ranked it all. And the Chicago White Sox got some great rankings as far as stadium atmosphere and, of course, with the food. They got the top ranking on food. And if you want to check out the stadium guides and let's say you're visiting other stadiums with summer vacations coming up and you've never been to a stadium before and you want to know what's good about it, what's bad about it, visit SeatGeek.com slash stadium guides and you can find out what other fans are saying about those stadiums. And again, that's SeatGeek.com slash stadium stadium guides but you know with the Chicago White Sox uh with the 4th of July if you don't have tickets for the 4th of July game there's still tickets for that game if you don't have tickets between the White Sox and Cubs uh which we'll talk about why this that series is getting really interesting um you can download the Seeky app onto your smartphone find tickets they have great deals right now and the best part is you get ten dollars off your first purchase so again download the Seeky app onto your smartphone Enter promo code socks machine. That's promo code socks machine for ten dollars off your first SeatGeek purchase. Seek Geek live set event. We have the tickets. And now for that weekend series between the White Sox and the Cubs. Again, this is our always favorite series of the year, Jim. Being sarcastic, but the season series is split one and one. If you remember, Ivan Nova pitched really well. Eloy Jimenez had the dramatic home run, but in the one loss, Lucas Giolito had his one clunker of the season, and he will get a chance to redeem himself. But the Chicago Cubs. Are 45 and 42 on the season. They do have a 4th of July game against the Pittsburgh Pirates, so they'll either be 46 at 42 or 45 and 43. They are one game back of the Milwaukee Brewers for first place in the National League Central. But the National League Central is really grouped up as all five teams are now within four and a half games of each other. The pitching problems for this series, the Cubs do not know what is going on with their starting rotation for this weekend series yet. But on Saturday at 6.15 p.m. Central Time, this is now a national broadcasted game. This will be on Fox. Lucas Giolito will be on the mound. And on Sunday at 1.10 p.m. Central Time, it is the final game before the All-Star break. It'll be Yvonne Nova against the Cubs, and Nova's had a very good uh, track record of success against the Cubs. And Jim, here is the most startling stat, startling stat about the Chicago Cubs and their recent struggles. In their last 19 road games, they are 4-15. and 15. They have lost six straight road series. And right now you can't go 15 minutes on Chicago Sports Radio without them being the topic uh, brought back to the Cubs' struggles. This is what everybody's talking about in the city of Chicago, at least on Sports Radio. And I think they will go undergo a full meltdown if the White Sox win both games against the Cubs this upcoming weekend. And I, I love chaos, so that would be wonderful. But we talked about earlier this season when the White Sox were having success against the Cleveland Indians. That maybe the Cleveland Indians' window is closing on them. Is the same thing happen, happening for the Chicago Cubs?
1: I don't think so. I think they're too deep and too resource deep to... Have it close. I think they might be like the Cardinals in which they just, you know, maybe have to hang around the periphery for a little bit. But uh, I, I think they're just t- a little bit too deep and too good. And especially with the star talent that they have, uh, that can cover up a lot of stuff. I think, you know, they have a lot of baggage and I think that's part of it. You know, it's just being a high-profile team with big personalities, and and you know, uh, you know, Theo Epstein is no stranger to having uh, situations go a bit sour, and you know, Madden is a unique personality, and you know, they have some guys just been around for a long time and probably have a hard time coexisting, and they might need to reconfigure a little bit. But uh, you know, should this be like a a situation that unravels on them and and forces them to you know be third in the um NL Central or be on the outside looking when it comes to the wild card or you know really gets out of hand, just might need a little bit of a reconfiguration um and then they're right back in it. I just think they're a bit too deep and uh they can spend, um, you know, even though they've been you know holding back on that. I think if you know they have a little bit of buzz lost and they lose a little bit of season ticket demand, um, you know, they could they could uh fire up the money cannon again.
0: Sure, but who's gonna be around? I mean, Joe Madden is a lame duck. I that's well, Girardi, right? <laughs> next, or David Ross? Yeah, I think Girardi might be more their style. Do you think Girardi and Theo Epstein can get along?
1: Briefly, like I mean, like you know, not maybe not for the long haul, but I think you know, for a couple of seasons. Yeah,
0: I just don't know. I can't get a good grasp on how long Theo wants to stay with this. He came. He did what he was gonna do. He accomplished the unthinkable. I can't see him having the energy or maybe even putting the effort to try to retool this team.
1: Yeah. Did he have a five-year extension though? Somewhere. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> like that yeah, matters. Yeah. But I was trying to. I was trying to look. At you while you're uh, setting up the seasons uh, or, or the Cubs series. I was trying to figure out what year it was where the White Sox swept the Cubs and send them on their way. It was 1999. It was it was a long time ago, 20 years ago, where uh, they had the series where they were, you know, Cubs were playing pretty well, and you know, I'm looking at the record right now, and they went on a bit of a tear and were 32-23, uh, and 23 and then they lost a game to the Arizona heading into the Sox series. But then the Sox swept them, uh, took three in a row, and just uh, went on a tailspin, ended up only winning 67 games the whole year. It was a mess, and, you know, there is that potential. It would be nice for the... uh uh, retain the, what is it now? Wintrust cup, uh, whatever it was. Oh but, yes. The yeah, Wintrust Trust. Get that cup. back if they, they sweep them and, and, you know, force that, that uh, force that road series to linger over their head for the entire all-star break and, you know, keep the chatter up. I don't mind. This is the one time where I don't mind everybody talking about the Cubs all the time. Cause it is a little bit of fun to watch them squirm. Uh, but yeah, it just seems like there, there needs to be some kind of reconfiguring, but um, they can hang around for a while. Well, it's a tight race right now in the National League Central
0: We'll see. I'm I'm a bit surprised on where they are at. I did take the under. Their win total for Vegas was 88 and a half wins. I did take the under, but I didn't think... I mean, they're on pace to only win 84 games this year, Jim.
1: Yeah. And
0: and that is a very far cry from where they were in 2015 and
1: 2016. Yeah, I just have a hard time figuring out... And maybe it's because the division is so deep that it's hard to figure out. Because, I mean, I you know for a while i've liked the cardinals as they were my shadow my shadow world series pick last year and you know i just like a lot of the talent on their team and they look like they should be better i mean you know when you have marcelo azuna and uh you know adding paul Goldschmidt to that lineup i thought that was going to be you know awesome and the way they can just kind of randomly generate above average players year after year and they just haven't been able to put together either so that's a weird division right now. I think it's to the benefit of the Brewers and, uh, you know, the Pirates I think are are hanging in there too. Uh, but maybe it's just when you have that deep of a division, even the Reds is a last place team. The Reds are a damn good last place team. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a, that could just mess with standings for everybody. Yeah. The Chicago White Sox, again, they're only
0: two games back of the Chicago Cubs at this moment. So depending on the results of the 4th of July game, uh, that will even add more intrigue. For this weekend, there could be the possibility that the White Sox catch the Cubs via winning percentage or maybe even pass them. And man, I cannot envision on what talk would be in Chicago at the All-Star game if the Chicago White Sox have a better record than the Chicago Cubs. I mean, we may even see some firings happening on the north side, and it'd be great if the White Sox can deliver that to the Cubs to send them to even more chaos. This is where being a a fan of this crosstown classic is where it could be a little evil, uh, but you can enjoy it. And I will enjoy it. If the white Sox can sweep the Cubs this weekend and hopefully Lucas Giolito and Ivan Nova can pitch well again, uh, Against this Cubs lineup and hold them at bay, uh, it should be pretty tight contest. Again, that Saturday game is going to be a national broadcast game, so a lot of eyeballs. And Lucas Giolito will be the first time a lot of the nation will be watching him before seeing him at the All Star game. But that will do it for this episode of Sox Machine Live. It was a very uh, eventful day for the Chicago White Sox, Dylan Cease, and the dramatic comeback win against the Detroit Tigers again. So thank you guys so much for staying up and listening. To the live stream on Mixler.com slash If you don't get an opportunity to listen to the live stream, no worries. Every episode is uploaded into the Sox Machine podcast feed so you can catch every single episode, which you can subscribe to the show via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Audioboom.com slash Machine. Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Have a great Fourth of July weekend, everyone, and we'll talk to you on Monday. When you rely on the Internet for everything... You need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity
1: delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings.